and we will be dismissed here shortly. But if you'll give me your attention for just a few minutes, I want to talk for just a few minutes on the subject of hope that leads to joy. Hope that leads to joy. In the Old Testament, we read about a man named Isaiah. He was a prophet. Isaiah prophesied about a lot of different things, but one of the most familiar is his prophecy about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. This passage that we're going to look at today is found in Isaiah 9 and 6. It's one of the most read passages of Scripture around Christmas time, and many folks here, you can probably quote this Scripture word for word, and if you've ever sung Handel's Messiah, then I know without a doubt you can quote it word for word. Here's what it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that Jesus was this Messiah. But today I want to look at just a couple of those names that he lists here in Isaiah 6, and the first of these is Wonderful. The word wonderful indicates the very character of Jesus. It's not just a word. It's not just a name. It's not just a title. It tells us who Jesus is. He is wonderful. Wonderful as it's used in this passage literally means incomprehensible. And he certainly was and still is incomprehensible. Jesus is wonderful in ways that boggles the mind. Look at how incomprehensible his his life was. Watch this. He showed us he was wonderful with his power to heal while he was on this earth. People of all types of sicknesses, they brought him those who were sick, and he healed everyone they brought to him. He showed that he was wonderful when he taught, and people listened, and they were amazed at what he taught. So much of the teaching was was counterintuitive to, to most people's thinking. Things like, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Loving sinners, being glad or rejoicing in the middle of tribulation or in the middle of problems. He was wonderful that in spite of living what most people would say is a difficult life, he lived it without sin. He was wonderful and it's incomprehensible that although he was sinless, he willingly died for our sins. We would look at that and go, that doesn't make any sense. He is wonderful and it is incomprehensible that although he died and was buried, he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead on the third day. Another title that Isaiah used in that same verse was the Prince of Peace. Jesus came into a very troubled world. He offered peace to those whom he came in contact with. He offered peace to people whose lives were often in shambles, people who thought there was no hope. He offered peace and hope to a woman who was about to be stoned for her sins. And he simply looked at those who were holding the stones, getting ready to kill this woman, and he said, let the one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. And at his words, they dropped the stones and they walked away. After they left, Jesus told her, your sins are forgiven. Now go and and don't sin anymore. And time and time again, we read of those who came to Jesus who were troubled, and time and time again, he spoke peace to their situation. It didn't matter if it was a sickness. 
It didn't matter if it was a stormy time in their life or if it was an actual storm out on the Sea of Galilee. You see, it didn't matter. He was the Prince of Peace. And whatever it was, whatever the situation was, he brought peace to the situation. Fast forward about 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy. In the second chapter of Luke, we read Luke's recording of the events of surrounding Jesus' birth, what we refer to as the Christmas story. Luke wrote that there was a man named Joseph who went to Bethlehem. And he took with him this young lady named Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for Jesus to have her ba- for Mary to have her baby. And in verse 7, we read that Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in some cloths that were laying around. It could have been a spare tunic they had on the donkey or who knows what it was, but she just wrapped him in cloths. And then she placed him in a manger because there was no room for she and Joseph and the baby Jesus in the end. We read on in Luke's gospel, and we read that Mary called the baby Jesus because it was the name the angels had given him before he had been conceived. So here was this long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who Isaiah called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Here was this one, the one who the angels told Mary and Joseph, call him Jesus. Here he was, not in a fancy hotel, not even in a rundown hotel, not in the maternity ward on the better side of town. No, here is this Savior of the world in a manger, in a stable, out behind an inn. The Savior of the world. With all this in mind, here's a question I want us to think about today as we approach Christmas tomorrow. What was really in the manger? There was a baby there. We know that. But what else? Even though this... um, This manger was basically a feeding trough for the animals that lived in that stable. There was a lot more in it than the typical hay and grain and barley for the various animals that lived in that stable. It was more than just any baby. It was God with us. God in the flesh. It was the Savior of the world. It was the one who was so wonderful that it's incomprehensible. He was the one who brought peace not only to a world that was in turmoil, but brought peace to individual lives. The Prince of Peace. That's who was in the stable. But what else? If you put all of that together, what was born that night in that stable in Bethlehem was hope. Hope for all of mankind. Not just hope for the people of his day, not just for hope for Joseph and Mary and their friends, but hope for everyone who would ever live from that day forward. Hope for us today. Regardless of what is going on in your life today, know that the one who was God with us to Isaiah, well, he's still with us. The one who was wonderful is still wonderful. And he's still changing lives in ways that are incomprehensible. He's taking lives that look like they're a total mess. And he turns them around and he makes them into something brand new. And for us, we go, That's, I don't get that. How can you do that? Because he's so wonderful that it's incomprehensible. 
and the Prince of Peace, well, he's still calming storms today. For anyone who might be in turmoil, who, for anyone that might be going through a difficult time, he is still the Prince of Peace today. Amen. It's almost Christmas. So could we purpose that this year, maybe, maybe more than ever before, that we will focus on the true meaning of Christmas? Yes, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But he didn't stay a baby. He grew up. And as he did, he proved over and over and over that he was wonderful. He proved over and over and over that he was the Prince of Peace. And he is still doing all of those things today. I love the decorations, the trees, the stockings, the lights, the fake snow, gifts. I love it. But as we enjoy those things, let's not forget what was in the manger. It was the Savior of the world. It was the one who is wonderful, the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who is the hope for all of mankind, hope for something greater than what we could ever experience on our own. You say, but I've done okay on my own. You haven't even begun to know what it's like until you know Jesus. There's something else that goes along with hope. Maybe better said, it's something that comes as a result of hope, and that's joy. Many times when I, I preach or teach, I, I find the topics can be kind of sobering. But then there are those times when it was, it's a topic that brings a smile to our face. It causes us to laugh out loud or sometimes even occasional snort. And I love a good snort laugh. You know what I'm talking about. It's so refreshing that this congregation is not afraid to laugh and smile. And I believe it's because through Christ we found joy. When we have joy in our heart, we don't find it difficult to come into the house of God and have a smile on our face. The church is too often seen as a bunch of uptight, sober, sour-faced people who spend most of their time pointing at others and trying to catch somebody committing sin. And unfortunately, their perception is far too often accurate. Some people don't feel like they've been to church unless they've had an hour of unison frowning. We don't have to frown. When we come to church, when we come into the presence of God, we can have joy. Why? Because we know who's wonderful. We know who the Prince of Peace is. I believe, for the most part, an attitude of joy should be the overriding demeanor of God's people, not, not soberness. A lot of people feel like when you go to church, you just have to sit there like this. No. It should be a joyful time. The night that Jesus was born, an angel appeared to the shepherds out in the field. And I want to read Luke 2, verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their field flocks at night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You see, there was something else in that manger. In addition to hope, there was, there was joy. Joy was born that night in Bethlehem. Not just happiness that comes at the birth of a child. It was a whole lot more than that. It was a joy that wasn't just limited to, to, to Joseph and Mary and, and the, the, the grandparents and their friends. It was a joy for everyone who would ever live. And that means because of that, we too can experience joy. It's the joy that Isaiah spoke of when he spoke of the one who was to be born, the one who would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Now let's fast forward another 33 plus years. Here we see a time in Jesus' life. He's a grown man now. He's not baby Jesus now. He's grown up Jesus. And this is a time before he was crucified when he met with his disciples. And he was trying to explain to them what was going to happen in the very near future. Look what he told them in John 16, verses 20 and 22. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. Look at this. But your grief will turn to joy. And then verse 22, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Amen. Amen. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to lay his life down on a cross. And he knew these men, who were his closest friends, would soon be feeling a sense of loss. They would be feeling the pain of a broken heart. But he assured them this. Guys, you might grieve now. But hold on. You might not understand this, but just believe me when I say your grief is going to turn to joy. And I'm sure at the time they were bewildered by that idea. And they probably looked at each other and said, how can that be? And they chalked it up to just one more thing about Jesus that was incomprehensible. I don't see how that can possibly be. If he's gone, how can, we, how can we be joyful? When Jesus was crucified, there were a lot of people who rejoiced. For these people who hated Jesus, it wasn't a sad day. No, it was a, it was a joyful one. To those who hated Jesus, his crucifixion meant a lot. It meant that a heretic was dead. A troublemaker was gone. A critic was silenced. And in their opinion, justice was done. And meanwhile, Jesus' disciples mourned. They felt as if their lives were caving in around them. All that they had hoped for had been taken from them. And right then, it seemed to them that hope was gone. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead on the third day after his crucifixion. And the resurrection of Christ is the one thing that changed everything. 
So many in the world could not stand the possibility or the thoughts of that happening. They had worked so hard to silence him. And then after he was gone, they tried to silence all those who said he was alive. Those who testified as to seeing him alive. They wanted them quiet too. They did not want to admit that Jesus was dead. Had risen from the dead. Like he said he would. They were angry. They were upset. Their plans to be rid of Jesus had been foiled. But look what also happened. Those who had once rejoiced were now unhappy. But as a result of the resurrection, now we see what Jesus was talking about to his disciples. Your grief will turn to joy. Now there's a time of grief. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and then no one will take away your joy. The result of that resurrection was that hope was restored. And now, because of hope, there was joy. Not joy just for the disciples, but joy for all who would follow Jesus. If you are struggling today, Maybe you feel like you've done all you can do. And in spite of that, life hurts. Maybe it feels like all hope is gone. Maybe you've come to a place in, in your life where your heart is broken. Everything seems to be going in the wrong direction and you start to feel like, why should I even try? Let me say this to you. Similar to what Jesus said to his disciples, hold on. You might grieve, you might hurt, but keep trusting God. Keep holding on to him. Your grief is going to turn to joy. And someday, there will be a time when no one will be able to take away your joy. Amen. The fact is that in life, even for those who have dedicated their lives to Christ, there will be times of sorrow. But if we hold on and if we trust God, there will come a time of joy. A time when life, as it did for the disciples, will suddenly go from hopeless to hopeful to joyful. From hopeless to hopeful to joyful. Hope can bring joy, even in the worst of circumstances. Because, you see, joy is not some superficial happy time. Joy is something that goes so much deeper. When we have hope in Jesus, circumstances may cause us to be unhappy, but in spite of that, we can still have the joy that only comes from the Lord. You say that seems incomprehensible. Yeah. But it's wonderful and incomprehensible. And that's who my Jesus is. He is wonderful. Even when it doesn't make sense, we can still have joy. You see, with hope, there is no fear of sickness. There is no fear of death. With hope, the worst that can happen to us is suffering that leads to death. And even that is not a tragedy if we're a child of God. With hope, there is no loss that is final. And with hope, death has lost its power. 
And that means if we are saved, we can live joyfully knowing that these bodies will one day be resurrected. No matter what would happen to us, one day we will be resurrected. And when that happens, our, our mourning or our grief or our pain will turn to joy and that joy will never go away. It might be in heaven, but that's okay. It's a promise. Because of the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have forgiveness. And that makes us pure in God's eyes. This promise of salvation is the source of our hope, and as a result, it's the source of our joy. We know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that we have been saved. We get to that place in our lives where we can say with confidence, I am forgiven, I am saved, I'm on my way to heaven, so whatever happens to me in the meantime, although it may cause some pain, my hope is in Christ, the one who was wonderful, the one who is the Prince of Peace. My hope is in something far beyond what this world could offer me. So I will rest in that hope and I will be joyful in that hope. When Jesus died, much of the world rejoiced and the disciples mourned. But the pain led to joy. And often our lives are just like that. Our friends might disappoint us. Circumstances can be difficult. But here's the good part. That's not the end of the story. Because we have a promise of something far greater than anything in this world. Look at David. He wrote many of the Psalms in the Old Testament, and he understood this concept. You see, David was a very talented musician and a writer. He was a great and powerful man. He was a great warrior. He was a king over all of Israel. And still, David went through some difficult times in his life. But because of his hope and his trust in God, he was able to say in verse 5 of Psalm 30 that weeping may stay for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I might struggle tonight, and I might lay lay in bed and cry, and I might pull the pillow over my head, and I might wet my, my pillow with tears. Weeping may endure for a night, But joy comes in the morning. We know the Christmas story. We know Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem. We know of the incredible things that he accomplished during his short ministry on earth. We know that he willingly laid down his life. He died for our sins. We know that he rose from the dead on the third day. We know that he's alive today. And with that knowledge and the hope that comes with it, we can have joy. Today and hopefully at Christmases to come, when we sing the words, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. As we sing those words, since we we know who that king is, could we sing them as never before? Sing them with a renewed hope 
And because of that renewed hope, could we sing those words with a renewed joy? A renewed joy because truly we know that the Lord is come. And he alone is the source of our hope. And because of Jesus, we have a hope that leads to joy. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have never made that first step, today is a great day. We're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the birth of Christ, the one who came and died for our sins. What better time to say, I will commit my life to the one who died for me. I will accept you into my heart. I will allow you to fill my heart with your spirit so that that spirit can lead me and guide me. Not a better day than today. If you're here today and maybe you're just struggling with some things in life, know that he is wonderful. A wonderful that is incomprehensible. And know without a doubt that he is the Prince of Peace. And he can speak peace to whatever might be going on in your life. Maybe you're struggling with a, a family situation. He's still the Prince of Peace. Maybe you're struggling with some health problems. He's still the Prince of Peace. He is still wonderful. And he will be with you all through whatever you're going through. And while you might have some, some sorrow for a little while, there will come joy. Does that mean I'll be happy all the time? No. I wish it did. But it means we can be joyful all the time. Happy is what stuff around us does. Joy is what comes from the hope that we have in Jesus. So even when stuff around us is not going good, even though we're not happy, we can still have joy. And we can still have peace. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. If you have not received that king into your life, would you do that today? Did you stand this morning? I want us to sing a chorus. Kind of an unusual chorus for the end of a service, but I think it really fits. And it just says, joy.